Hey friends, what's one thing you've learned from a foreign culture? In our increasingly polarized society with political rhetoric about refugees flying around, we sometimes lose sight of the humanity involved. Our guest on Halfway There today says, we can never overestimate the value of dignity and the image of God in people, especially when they're different from us. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 326, Kate Berkey and the Humility of Honor. Hey friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. As always, I'm your host, Eric Nevins, and I thank you for being here. Thanks for downloading this show. You have a lot of shows. I don't know if you know this, but there's, it seems like everybody has a podcast. There's only about two and a half million of them, but it seems like you're getting, people are becoming more and more aware of them, which is awesome, but you downloaded this one and I'm grateful for that. Thank you very much. I know that this is going to be a great episode. If you want to help out financially, you can do that. Go to halfwaytherepodcast.com, hit that Patreon button and support the show. Thanks to those of you who do that. It helps tremendously. I was just looking at that the other day and I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. All right, let's get into our conversation. Our guest, she's a writer, speaker, and missionary living on the north side of Chicago, which uh, is a place that's near and dear to my heart because I used to live not far from there. We were just talking about the food. Can't wait to, maybe we'll talk more about that. But she works with refugees and immigrants uh, uh, with Devon Oasis Ministry. Uh, Our guest is Kate Berkey. Kate, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you so much. It's so good to be with you. And it's so good to be with another Chicagoan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up in Iowa, but I spent seven years on the north side or in the northern suburbs there going to school. And uh, I do, like I said, I do miss the food. I miss a lot of things about Chicago, but definitely not the traffic. <laughs> Absolutely not. I don't know anybody that loves the traffic here. <laughs> Man, I remember driving. My my drive was not that far, but it was so, so long. And to, in Denver, we just don't have that <laughs> that issue. No. Oh man. I, uh, someday I long, I long for a day (laughs) with, uh, simpler traffic. (laughs) It can be bad, but it's not, it's not as bad anyway. Well, let's dive in. So, uh, Kate, welcome to the show, obviously writer, speaker and missionary. That's, those are broad subjects. So tell us a little bit about where God has you right now and what you're doing at the moment. Yeah. So, um, right now I am a writer. My co-author and I just published our first book this last summer. It's called a place called Braverly. Um, it is a discipleship book for women. Um, and it really dives into what does it like, look like to live courageously, dream boldly and influence bravery and in others because of who God is and because of who he says we are. Um, so just published that and I'm in the thick of all things marketing and um, just trying to get the message and ministry out of that book. Um, and then I'm also, like you said, on the north side of Chicago, I work with Devon Oasis Ministry. We're right here. Um, Devon Avenue is um, such a diverse um, street and it's um, it stretches rather far in the city. Um, but working with refugees and immigrants on the daily, I'm doing um, English help. I'm helping kids with homework, doing a ton of home visits. Everything we do is in relationship um, with people, sharing the gospel as we can. And I also lead a sewing group, um, which is hilarious because I don't actually know how to sew. <laughs> it's just a need that we had in the neighborhood. And I am figuring out as we go. Um, I have a lot of women who call me teacher who are much more talented and much more experienced in sewing. Um, and and I'm just rolling with it. It's the sewing group to me is a, an example of how the Lord just uses us as long as we're willing. Um, and oh, so yeah. that's a little bit about what I am up to here in Chicago. 
I love that. I think that's fantastic. And I, I want to hear a lot more about it. But first, we like to hear about your story. And I want to hear about you and kind of where, you know, how you got here. Because you didn't get here. You didn't become a writer overnight, right? That That is a dream that got planted somewhere. So I want to hear that story. What, um, what Did you grow up in Chicago? Are you from there? I did not. So I grew up, so you're from Iowa. I'm from small town, Indiana. So oh, yeah. You're really, really with you. Not, not a lot different, is there? They're, they're no, very no. similar places. Very, very similar. So I grew up um, in this little town called Napanee, Indiana, and the kind of traffic that I had to deal with was buggies um, and right? things like that. <laughs> <laughs> now, could you get a good tenderloin in Indiana? Oh, 100%. See? Hundred percent fried right. chicken, tenderloin, That's all right. those things. The good, the good food. So we had those in Iowa. It was a funny story. The reason I ask is because when we lived in Chicago, we were having our first baby, my wife had a craving for a tenderloin. Couldn't oh find them. We couldn't find them in Chicago. They were they just weren't no. there. So weird. You can find so much, but not that. We also didn't have the internet, so that was that was uh oh. you know would have helped maybe. But anyway, okay. So Indiana, I love that. Uh, what was it like? Was it a Christian family or what was what was growing up in small town Indiana like for you? Yeah. So I grew up in, um, a Christian family. Um, I definitely, my, my area that I grew up in is just a highly religious culture in general. Um, so I grew up around a lot of Christian influences, but my family, I'm so grateful. Um, I grew up in just a strong Christian family that, um, truly loved the Lord. It wasn't, um, just about religion and duty. Like we go to church because we go to church. Um, and so now, especially living in Chicago, working with a lot of, um, Muslim refugees, some of who have come to faith in Christ, I realize now just how special, um, it was that I've grown up with just a Christian family that truly loves the Lord and, um, and loves others because of his love. Yeah, that is special. It's a, it is a big deal. And I think it sometimes gets underrated, but it's a great story to have, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. I, I feel like my story, I am where I am today because of that, um, in a lot of ways. And so I am truly so grateful. Yeah. So how, but it's so when you do grow up in a situation like that, where you have a good church, good family, um, you know, you're, you know, the Lord, you come to know the Lord young, probably I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. And then how did your faith become your own as you grew? Yeah, no, that's a great question because I think that that is the trick when you grow up in that kind of environment. <clears throat> so for me, um, I think it was about, I think I was maybe a sophomore in high school, um, when just truly needed to figure out, okay, why do I believe what I believe? And so, for me, from like the sophomore year of high school until maybe like sophomore, junior year of college, um, I just walked through a lot of doubts and just wondering, okay, is this real? Like, is the Bible actually trustworthy? Like all of this seems really weird. Like um, sometimes even still today, I think about the gospel and I think about just the concept of, you know, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, all of that. And it is just beyond comprehension in a lot of ways. And so um definitely as a high schooler and in college, um, I had to walk through just a lot of doubts and wondering and figuring out for myself, okay, why do I believe this? Um, not just because this is what I've been taught, not just because this is what my mom and dad have always just said, this is true. Um, but why do I believe? And so I walked through, um, just a lot of questions yeah. and a lot of, um, wanderings. And thankfully I had just a community beside me, um, through my youth group at church, um, through my family, um, that really created space for me in that. Um, I remember talking to my parents, um, maybe like a year or so into just having a lot of questions and doubts. 
um, and just saying like, Hey, this is what I'm walking through. And I'm really scared. And I'm really scared of what you'll think about these questions that I'm, that I'm wrestling with. And, um, and I remember my parents being so understanding and so encouraging even of like, Hey, Kate, it's okay to have these questions. Cause I think it'll strengthen your faith over time. And for me, it has strengthened my faith. Um, there's always lingering questions because it's faith and it's not, um, this thing that is, yeah. um, we have to believe. And so I still have some of those, but it's just, it, it's those, those doubts and questions really strengthen my faith over time. Well, give me an example of one of those doubts that you wrestled with and then how did you resolve it? Yeah, I think, you know, it was really interesting. I, one of the questions and doubts that I really had was like, how do I know if the Bible is true and how do I know if Jesus actually existed? Um, and I, I remember as a kid, you know, reading the Bible, I would get to all those genealogy sections and I would just skim over all of them because I can't pronounce any of those names. <laughs> and I just, I don't understand who they're, who they are, or where they're from. Um, but I remember, I mean, I think this was pretty early on in just some of those questions that I had was like, is, how do I know that Jesus even existed? And I remember going around Christmas time to, um, to the gospels and realizing that Jesus's genealogy is listed out there in scripture. Um, and there was something, it was just that simple realization that historians and people who wrote the Bible, they, they wrote down people where Jesus came from. And that to me was like, okay, I, I think that this is real. I think that this helps me enough in that question that I need to keep walking in faith that yes, Jesus existed because look at this genealogy, like it's right here. And this genealogy is also backed up in other areas of scripture. So that was a really simple, but I remember pretty profound one for me. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I think that's one thing that gets lost sometimes is the historicity of the Bible mm -hmm. and the, the idea that uh, it isn't, it is, it is a book written by people with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but it is grounded in history, right? There is, yeah. there, it, there is history to, to it. It's not just made up. And so I think that, I think a lot of, that can be a really powerful realization. Sounds like it was for you. You also mentioned that you had a bunch of, you had mentors and people around you. Sounds like your parents yeah. weren't freaked out by this. That's good. That's, that means they encourage you to to question and ask, ask some things. What were, were there other mentors or people that really had significant, you know, moments or influence on you and tell us, tell us about them. Yeah. So there's one in particular, um, her name is Christy Michael and fun fact, she's also the co-author mm. of the book um, that we wrote. Um, but I met her, I was a freshman in high school and she was working at the church and working with the youth ministry. Um, and so she's about 10 years older than me. Um, and I just, that was around the time that I was starting to really walk through a lot of questions. Um, and she just completely took me under her wing as a high schooler. And, um, she created so much space in her, her calendar. Like she would, um, you know, she'd clock out of work and then she would take me out to dinner or we would go to a coffee shop and she just invested hours into my life, um, week after week for, I mean, I met her as a freshman, um, even through college, she was pouring into my life. And so that's one of those relationships for me that she was a mentor. She was somebody that I could go to with anything. Um, and then as I got into college, she sort of became friend. And then after college, like she is, and now, you know, I'm almost 30. She is somebody who I consider a sister. She was the maid of honor in my wedding. So it's, it's pretty wild to see that relationship and how it's grown, but 
Um, I think she, to me, is an example of somebody that so sacrificially gave up her time, not just to me, but to others. But um, she has had such a big impact in my life because of the time she gave. Yeah, I often point this out, but friends, you cannot underestimate the power of somebody who's willing to do that, right? So uh, maybe it's you that needs to go and mentor someone else and just take them under your wing. And even if it's, it doesn't have to be every day. It doesn't have to be every week. Mm-hmm. Occasionally just say, Hey, can you, let's go hang out. Or I had a mentor in seminary who would say, never go anywhere alone. Right. So mm-hmm. that was his advice to pastors. Like if you're going to go to the hospital, take somebody with you. If you're going to go yeah. wherever, because it has that effect. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think too, for, for Christy in my life, um, as a high schooler, there's there were so many insecurities that I was walking through because I'm just a high schooler and wasn't like the cool kid. Um, and Christy was somebody and still is, but was somebody that just really valued um just my thoughts and my mm-hmm. opinions and just the things that I was wrestling through. And she didn't, I think a lot of times there's a lot of jokes about like middle schooler and high school kids. And yes, like there's some things that maybe get blown out of proportion with them. Um, but she was somebody that really valued and didn't discredit me and, and truly yeah. just poured into me. And there's something really powerful about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think really comes, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. So I'm going to opine about it for a second about that. There's a, there's an idea in that comes from, I think, Imago Day from the idea of, that we're all made in God's image, that each person is valuable, right? So being mm-hmm. willing to treat people that way, which I, is some of what I hear in your ministry even. So maybe there's a there's some threads there that we can we can yeah. pull on a little bit. Uh, but having that having that as a core piece of your theology, of your beliefs about the world, that other people are valuable, just changes how we how we interact with them, even when they're difficult, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can't underestimate just the value of just dignity and the image of God and people. That is well said. Okay. Um, so where'd you go from there? So you were, you were wrestled with this. You had this great mentor, obviously you're connected with her still cause you're writing books together. Uh, but then where'd you go from there? What was the next kind of inflection point in your faith? Yeah. So from there, um, <clears throat> I, I went to college. I went to Taylor university, um, which is a small Christian college in Indiana. Um, and I, again, even there was still wrestling with a lot of questions and doubts. Um, we had this, we had optional chapel, um, at Taylor, which to me was kind of nice because it was a choice then, um, to get to go or not. Um, but I, I remember even there, I didn't go to chapel most of my freshman year. Um, and I remember there, I had a friend who, um, just very lovingly asked me like, Hey Kate, is everything okay? Like, we all go to this thing, but you don't really come to it. Like, are you doing okay? And, and that again, another person that spoke into my life and helped, um, just help me in a moment of like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know if I truly believe what everyone else seems to believe around me. Um, and so it's truly a miracle and just, a just the grace of God that he put people in my life, um, to just keep me close to him in that. Um, and so I would say around, towards the end of college, um, I truly started to believe, okay, this is what I believe. And I know, I know that it's true, even though I still have questions, but like the Holy spirit was just becoming so much more, um, evident in my life and speaking into my life, especially in what ways toward the end of college. In what ways? Um, 
Yeah. So I would say that towards the end of college, like I was trying to figure out, okay, where am I going from here? Like, what am I doing? Like every college student is. Um, And so the Holy Spirit just, he was so directing my steps in that season. And he was, he was not just directing my steps in ways of like, okay, Kate, move here, do this, whatever he was doing that. Um, But he was also, I just heard his voice and in such loving ways. Um, like I, I was just listening to one of your, um, previous podcasts and one of your guests talked about the kindness of God and that I resonated with that so deeply when I heard that, because that is what I began to truly experience around that time was just the kindness and the goodness of, of the Lord. Um, and, and through the Holy spirit, I was experiencing that. And as he was directing my steps, there wasn't this pressure to have it all figured out, but that, um, I could take step after step with him. Um, and we could, I could start to get it wrong, but I could trust that he was going to redirect my steps. And so it was truly just the kindness of the Holy spirit that I began to experience, especially in that season and has really grown since then. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. Well, that's good. I think that experiencing God in those ways is really important and powerful. Was there, was there a particular moment that you experienced God's kindness? Was there something that you were like, you know, I don't know. You thought God was not going to show you a direction or what was there? Was there a certain story, a moment? There doesn't have to be, but yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. Well, I, so the one that comes to mind is actually from a couple of years after college. Um, for me, um, I was, working back at my home church in Indiana um, and just really was feeling like, man, I think that there's something else that the Lord is leading me to. Um, And it was actually, it actually ended up being the book that we were writing. He was leading me towards that. And, and again, this is just showing like God's kindness over time. Um, And, and in that season, I was trying to figure out, God, where are you leading next? Where are you calling next? And, um, it was in that season that he gave me a picture of the book that we ended up writing. And he gave Christy and our other friend, the same picture of this book. Um, and just this vision for what he wanted us to do next. Um, and there was so much uncertainty. Um, there was so much, um, that I had no idea how to do what he was asking us to do. But in that season, he just, he gave me one step after the other. Um, and it wasn't, like I also, I feel the pressure to have things figured out now, <laughs> um, to, to know where I am going when I start. And, and sometimes the Lord does that. He helps us see like where we're going when we start out. Um, but sometimes he just leads us step by step by step. And there was so much grace in that because that's what that season was for me. It was okay, Kate, take this step, talk mm-hmm. to this person. Okay, Kate, take this step now. All right, now this one. And they were such little steps, it felt like. But over time, um, especially looking back to, I see just his goodness and kindness in that season um, to give me such small steps that would lead me to deeper trust and deeper dependence and deeper understanding of who he is. Yeah, absolutely. Which is interesting, right? Because you have to, um, it's just like, just like little kids. I don't know if you have kids yet, but the, the kids watching them develop is very interesting, right? Because they, they don't, when they take their first steps, everybody's really proud, right? <laughs> because you're very excited, mm-hmm. right? But then they have to take a lot more steps to kind of learn how to keep their balance and then practice and they're small, right? Before they can ever run or play or jump off things as they eventually do. 
they they have to do all the, all those things and it takes practice right and i think yeah. our spiritual life is not that much different from that it actually takes a lot of practice and so what i hear you describing is that you had to trust the lord in little steps one at a time yep was there one that was hard for you to trust him in <laughs> yeah so the this book project it actually led me to thailand mm. <laughs> um to quit my full-time job and to do support raise missionary that's when my journey as a support raised missionary began was in 2018 with this book. Um, and absolutely making that decision to follow the Lord to Thailand with an idea that it wouldn't be forever. Um, but that maybe the Lord was calling me overseas, um, for the foreseeable future. That was a tough ask and just a tough, um, trust moment. And it was, a. it wasn't like a, for me, especially making that decision, um, to move to Thailand, quit full-time job, all of that. Um, it wasn't like this one moment where I was like, yes, Lord, I trust you. I'm all in never experienced doubt again. Um, it was just a process of saying, okay, yes, I'm going to trust you today. And then there was a step backwards. Um, but there was more steps forwards and more step backwards of, of trusting and choosing to trust. But that one was a really, really tough one. Like when people talk about maybe God will ask you to sell everything and move overseas. Like that was part of my story, although I didn't sell everything. Um, that certainly was part of my story and it, and it was tough. Um, but the Lord was so gracious in the midst of it all. Yeah. Okay. Well, so tell me about that, that difficulty and how you came to that decision. Like, why did you decide to go? What was it? What was the feeling that you had that you had to be like, okay, I'm actually going to take this really huge step. Cause that doesn't happen overnight, right? Usually that's a, no, months or years long process. Yeah. I think for me, um, that journey, it started with a feeling of, of discontentedness that wasn't with my current, with my current at the time reality of Mm -hmm. the work that I was doing, the place that I was in. Um, and it didn't feel like the kind of discontentedness that's like the grass is green or somewhere else. It felt like, it felt like the kind of discontentedness that comes from the Holy spirit that like, Hey, there's something, there's something coming up. So I'm going to, make you a little discontent with this right now. And so my journey really started with that. Um, and this posture of like, okay, Lord, then whatever it is, I'm just going to have open hands and a soft heart. Um, and, and that's when he slowly began to unfold Thailand. How did you get interested in Thailand? Yeah. So, um, so my friend, Christy, she was already in Thailand, um, working with a ministry there. It's called Braverly. Um, which is what inspired this book, um, a place called Braverly. It was inspired by a training center gotcha. called Braverly. And so I saw what they were doing and I loved it. I love just the mission and the vision of that place. Their training center for women on the border of Thailand and Burma. Um, and they're, they want to empower them. They want to help provide the stability of a job, but then they also want to do discipleship. Um, and so I love, love the way that it brings, um, just those physical and spiritual needs, um, together. And so I knew about Thailand through her, um, and then some other friends that were there working with that ministry. Um, and as I was praying about all of this about, okay, God, what is next? Um, I just, I told him like, you're gonna have to make it really clear, whatever it is that's next, you've got to make it super clear because I'm a pretty fearful person. Um, and he did like the Lord made it absolutely clear to me. Um, there was a moment where I was, I was praying and just thinking through things. And this thought popped into my mind, which at the time felt really random, but it was, Oh, I wonder if braverly, if, if the ministry out there, I wonder if they need any writers. 
just a random thought. And I, I happened to mention it to Christy, like, Hey, like I had this thought, like, what if you guys needed writers? And she, and I was laughing and she just dead serious was like, actually, we were just like talking about a project that we, we, we have in mind. And when we thought about writers, you were the person that came to mind. And would you consider coming out to Thailand? And that was the moment for me. I was like, okay, that's really clear. Like the Lord has made it very, very clear. Um, And so that was a pretty defining moment, especially in that scary journey of going overseas. Yeah. But it's those moments, right. Of, I think just even small direction, right. Or little, Mm -hmm. little, like that's a, that's a, I guess that's a big deal, but it's a, it could be a coincidence, right. It could be a thing, but it feels you were already kind of thinking in that direction. So you're like, okay, those are the ones that become uh, kind of the ba- the basis for trusting more, right? Yes, absolutely. And so you did eventually like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go do it. What was raising money like? Um, Scary, but it was thankfully like I am a part of a church in Indiana that um, they are just so missionary and ministry focused that, as soon as they found out what I was, um, where I felt like the Lord was leading so many people rallied behind me, but it was definitely a learning experience of figuring out how to communicate with people, tell the story of what God is doing or what I felt like he was calling me to, um, certainly had to gain a little bit of confidence in public speaking, which didn't love and still don't love, but (laughs) much more confident in it. Um, but it was, I think more than anything fundraising and continues to be just a continual like trust fall (laughs) into the Lord of like, okay, I really would love to get paid this month, Lord. Like, I'm going to do what I can, but I need you to like, I need you to do what only you can do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It is one of those things. Sometimes he, it's uncomfortable to trust him to provide, but Mm -hmm. he very often does. Right. I have friends who count on the Lord every single month and i Wow. I, I respect that <laughs> Great, greatly. Yeah. So, okay. You go to Thailand. What do you do there? And what, what's that, what's that experience like? Yeah. So in Thailand, um, so I, I was bought out for the specific project, um, to work on a discipleship tool, um, that we could use at Braverly. And then we have just a network of pastors and churches in Thailand and Burma. Um, and so our vision was to create something that would, um, help women in Thailand and Burma grow in their faith, um, because books written with their culture in mind and in their language that, that help them with those things, they don't exist. Um, bookstores don't really exist. Um, especially in our small town of Mesat, Thailand. Um, I mean, a big obstacle is illiteracy. So that's one of the reasons why they don't exist. Um, but the other is just that there's just not a lot of books written in those languages. And so we wanted to be a part of, just a change and a shift. And so, um, a lot of my time in Thailand was working with the training center braverly with the women, um, helping out as I could. I had a background in social media management, all of that stuff. So I helped with a little bit of those things, but then, um, I just spent a lot of time with the Lord and with Christy figuring out, okay, Lord, what do you want to say in this book? Because we don't want it to be our words. We want it to be yours. And so I spent a lot of time just growing in my faith and my relationship and, and my understanding of who the Holy spirit is and how he speaks. And, um, and then wrote the book from there. And while we were there, we were like, wait, this message 
is not just for Thailand and Burma. So we had this vision, okay, what if we got this book published in the States as well? And so things kind of unfolded from there and the book is now published in the States and we're working on translation and printing and distribution distribution in Thailand and Burma still today. But um, yeah, that's kind of an overview of what my time in Thailand was like. Yeah. A lot of writing, a lot of time with the Lord um, and just helping out as I could with other ministry things um, with the team. Yeah. What surprised you in Thailand? Oh man. Um, a lot of things. Thailand is a very different culture than I, what I grew up in Indiana. Right? That's almost um, as far as you can get from Indiana. It, it is. It is completely opposite of everything. Um, I think, you know what I think really surprised me, um, in Thailand, there was just the initial culture shocks that hit right away, um, that you're, that you deal with in the first week, month, um, and, and they're really intense. It's the shock of not being able to read any signs because it's the the script is completely different and I can't understand any of it. It's just getting around by bicycle. Um, it's the heat. It's all of those things. It's just so many different things. Um, but I think what surprised me in Thailand um, overall was just the, the micro culture shocks that happen every single day that you just don't notice. And then you wake up one day exhausted and you can't put your finger on why. Um, and I think a lot of it goes back to those microculture shocks that, um, you just sort of learn to live with because they just happen every day. Um, and it, it, that was a, a tough moment for me of like, oh, okay, yeah. I'm exhausted. Why? Oh, probably because of this. Oh, that, that is interesting, right? Because you're probably trying the entire time to make adjustments and be flexible yes. and, do all that. And that actually takes a mental toll and a spiritual toll and like a, just a, even yeah. a physical toll on you that, uh, you have to maybe pay attention to. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, absolutely. There, and there is such a need for flexibility and for adaptation, all of that. And so, um, it does, it does start to take a toll. I think that's probably where some burnout comes on the mission field is just not being able to recognize in those moments where just missionaries need to take a break. <laughs> from all of like being flexible, all of that, just, just take a minute yeah. and pause. Yeah. And then I hear about people who spend lots of time overseas and they come back and then it's like a culture shock all over again. And I can't, yes. I can't imagine that. So, okay. What did you learn then about yourself as you went, mm -hmm. as you went through that? So you, you mentioned that your culture of Indiana is very different from the culture that you were in in Thailand, but I'm guessing you learned some things about yourself going through all of that and evaluating the experiences. So what did you learn? One of the really big things that I learned, um, so Thailand is a very honor shame culture, which is really different from here in the West. Um, we are a power guilt culture. I can't quite remember. Um, but honor shame in Thailand um, just really emphasizes honor above everything else and avoiding shame at all costs, um, saving face. And so I think what I really learned about myself even through the culture in Thailand, um, it kind of ties back into just spiritual practices is, um, here in the States, there's this, um, this emphasis on equality and, um, I don't love hierarchies. <laughs> um, and so I think in the West too, there's a sense of like, everyone is the same. And that's, that's really true in a lot of ways, but in my spiritual walk with the Lord, something that Thailand taught me was, um, just the honor and the respect and the, the awe that I should have for 
the Lord. Um, I learned that so much from my Thai and Burmese brothers and sisters. Um, cause I watched them give honor to others in these really beautiful ways. Um, these ways that were, that would humble themselves in order to honor someone else. Um, and, and that's not something that I see a ton in the culture that I came from, um, whether that was in relationship with others or with the Lord. And so I learned a lot of like, I thought I honored people well, but then I was with my Thai friends and they, they show so much honor, um, and so much love and respect to people, um, where I was maybe trying to treat everyone equal. It's not that I'm trying to elevate someone over me, Mm -hmm. but it's this, it's almost like this. I want to become less so that you can become more, um, because I want to honor you in that way. Um, and I learned that in relationship, but also with the Lord, um, to just honor him and respect him and in that awe. And I think that was missing from my life in a lot of ways before I was immersed into the Thai culture. That is a very interesting piece of the relationship because I think we read a phrase like that. John the Baptist says that of Jesus, he's got to become greater and I mm-hmm. need to become less. And we bristle a little bit sometimes, at least I do. Yeah. We're like, well, but John, you got a job and you did your job and whatever, you know? And like, but he, there's a humility in that, right? There's a, there's yeah. a, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be talking about humility is a thing that God is really pre- pressing on me re- recently. It just keeps coming up everywhere, but um, maybe I'll take that for what it ever means. But, <laughs> um, but it's interesting that there is a humility that you have to have in that for, to, to put someone else above you. Give me a practical example of how you would elevate somebody or how maybe one of your uh, Thai friends would elevate someone else and and just be respectful in a way that you wouldn't have expected. Oh my gosh. I, I experienced that all the time in Thailand. Um, a lot of there, there's a, there's certain, there's a certain aspect to it. Where I'm like, I do not deserve this. I would get a lot of honor just because I was an American walking in, um, to a room. So there was moments where we would go in and we would help teach English at a school. Um, we are not English teachers. We have zero qualification, but we're American and we speak English. Um, and so they would invite us in and they would have whole ceremonies for just us, like not even for the, the event we were doing, but just for us. Um, I experienced that in, in the schools in Thailand, you know, I even experienced it here in the neighborhood. I'm working with a lot of honor, shame cultures here in the neighborhood and, I'll walk into a home and it, that it's, it reminds me of, um, you know, when Jesus, when Jesus is talking in the gospels, he says, like, if, if somebody walks in, like, don't sit, when you walk into it, don't sit in the place of honor, because what if somebody else like walks in, who's like higher than you and they yep. should be sitting there. Like I am given the place of honor in people's homes. Um, and in like the, the place at the table where I feel like somebody much more powerful, much more important than me should be sitting. Um, but I just get elevated to that. And, and I don't know what to do with that because that's not my personality. Um, but I'm, I'm also learning to do that in relationships with, with others. I'm learning to, um, kind of sit back and, and put them in a place of importance and honor. Um, got a friend in the neighborhood. Um, and, and that's one thing that I'm trying to practice with her when she walks into my space, um, in my home, I want to honor her to give her, um, just the best of what I have, um, because that is what I experience so often here in the neighborhood. Mm, yeah, man. I love that. It's interesting too. I think you, to hear you say 
people give me that place of honor and I don't know what to do with it because mm-hmm. accepting that also takes humility, doesn't it? It takes, yeah. it takes an understanding of, I'm, I'm, I think this is one reason why humility is on my mind because I think often certainly cultures that I grew up in, evangelical culture, we have this sort of false humility, like, oh, I'm not, mm. I'm not anything. I'm not, you know, but really to accept that honor from someone else, right. You're yeah. is doing them an honor and mm. it takes humility on your part to recognize what they're doing for you. Right. Yeah. I think we absolutely. see Jesus do this with the woman who like anoints his feet. Right. Yeah. And he's like, it's okay. And he accepts it even though it was awkward for everybody, but whatever was going on there. Absolutely. You know, even just you saying that there's, so the neighbor that I'm in here in Chicago, um, there's so many families that live below the poverty line. I mean, just this neighborhood is a very impoverished neighborhood, um, to be quite honest. And when I walk into a home more times than not, there's, they want to prepare tea for me or coffee, um, or they want to prepare, prepare like a full on meal. And I know that these families are living on food stamps. I know that they don't have a lot to share. Um, and, and I used to feel really, really awkward about it. Um, and sometimes I still do, but the Lord has even pressed into me like, Kate, accept this gift. Because if, if the mm-hmm. roles were reversed, like you would feel awful if you tried to give this to somebody and they were like, yes. no, 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 it's okay. Like, no, just accept their gift to you and with humility, but accept it because it's their gift to you. Right. Right. Accepting it. Yeah. Oh, that's. That's so interesting. And I could, I could think about that for a long time. Okay. So you come back and then you go, just, do you find this job or like, how, how does that uh, go? And then. (laughs) Yep. Um, so I, I got connected with this ministry. So I came back to the States, um, in 2020, which was quite a time. Um, and I came right before the world shut down. I came back in February. Um, and I had heard about this ministry when I was working at the church, um, after I graduated from college, um, we have different partners at the church and this ministry was one of them. And so I had come up to the neighborhood in 2015 actually, and, and just fell in love with this place because of the diversity, because of the ministry, because of the open doors. Um, the, we have, I think there's a school, I mean, there's so many schools, but within the schools, there's like over a hundred languages being spoken. Like it, it is a wild place here. Um, and so when I, in 2015, when I came, I really felt like this was where God was leading me first. Um, but first he led me to Thailand. And while I was in Thailand, it was just, again, Chicago, Chicago, Devon Oasis. Um, and so in 2020, I, fundraise a lot more, um, because it's more expensive to live in Chicago than Thailand and, um, then moved here in June of 2020. Um, and have been here for about two and a half years. Yeah. I love that. And you described some of your work there, which I think is, uh, really beautiful. I would love for more Christians to be more involved in communities, uh, like that. My, my wife had a chance here this in the last year, to help some refugees who were coming over from Afghanistan, you know, who literally yeah. had to flee for their lives uh, on onto American planes to fly to the United States and to help them because they literally had nothing. They, they had lost yeah. everything they had. And uh, I think that's Absolutely. our calling as, uh, as believers. Um, and I think just as human beings, but I think as certainly yeah. as, as believers, it's, it's something that God wants us to do. 
what do you what do you see what do you think what do you think the message to the church is for communities that uh, we otherwise may not think about uh, that are you know like the ones that you work with yeah I think that there's a lot of messages um because I definitely agree with what you were saying that it's such an incredible opportunity to get to come alongside them but um I think one of the biggest things that my team comes back to and that we try to reiterate to churches when they come to visit is um, for these communities and they're there everywhere in America. There's so many refugees right. and immigrants across the state. So they're probably not that far from you, no matter where you're at. Um, the number one need of, of refugees, at least that we experience um, is friendship and um, like, yes, they absolutely need rent. They need food. They need those physical needs, right? Like we all do, but you can have all of that and not have a single friend and just be absolutely miserable. And so what we do here in the neighborhood is so much of it is just friendship building relationship. And, and I think that that is an incredible opportunity for the church to come alongside people, um, to visit them, to be their friend, um, with the sole purpose to be their friend, (laughs) not with like, I'm going to sneak in like my track now, but like, yeah, share the gospel, but like let friendship and love be the goal there. Um, and I think as we do that, like doors open for people to hear about Jesus, to maybe even accept him, um, to be welcomed into the kingdom. Um, but we have seen so much, um, good happen when we visit families regularly, consistently, and, and just be their friend, um, help them when they need help with forms and just different things like that, that feel really easy to us in some ways, because we understand the language, but if you don't understand the language, it's really, really hard. Um, so I think the message is the church is be a friend, be a neighbor, um, like Jesus called us to be a friend. Boy, I love that. The number one thing, and here's the thing, number one thing that refugees need is friendship. You stated that brilliantly. I think that's just a human need, right? It's just a human need. Like that's all it is. That's all it is. Let's keep that in mind. Let's keep that in mind. I love that. Okay. That's a great challenge. Thank you uh, for that, Kate. So I wanted to talk a little bit. I know we, we talked, you talked about writing the book, A Place Called Braverly. And this is, sounds like a ministry that you're writing about the ministry that uh, is happening there. But um, you really wrote it to help encourage people to, to be brave, right? Yeah. So the book was inspired by the motto of Braverly, the training center that um, that is in Thailand. Um, and their motto is live brave, dream bravely and influence bravery. And so from that, we, we stumbled upon this book, really the Holy spirit just unfolded it for us. And so the book really is it's geared toward women um, specifically, but anyone can read it. Um, and it's just, how do we live with more courage? How do we dream bravely with the Lord? And how do we in inspire courage in our community because of who God is and because of who he says we are. Um, so it's, it's written with scripture, um, with some of our personal stories. Um, and it really is, is meant to be a tool to just help, help us figure out how to live with the courage God designed for us to live with, um, because of who he is, that it's courage that is, it's courage that we're trying to find that's rooted in him, not in our own, um, mantras or ideas, but truly rooted in the father. Yeah. I love that. All right. What's the bravest thing you've ever seen someone do? Oh my gosh. 
That's a really good question. You know, I think I, so I didn't actually witness this, um, but I, I have a friend in the neighborhood. She, she, um, she came over six years ago from Burma. Um, and when she got to America, she, she knew she wanted to become a Christian and she was Muslim at the time. And she hadn't even heard the gospel. She just, the Holy spirit had drawn, like kept drawing him or to herself. And, Mm. um, and to me, one of the bravest things I've ever seen someone do is, is choose to leave family, culture, faith behind, um, for what they, they knew to be true. Um, and I watch her do that. I didn't, I wasn't there for that first decision, but I've seen her make that decision time after time after time. Cause her family is in the neighborhood and this community is trying really hard to pull her back, but she knows, she knows that she knows that she knows that Jesus is, um, is true. And so bravest thing I've seen is just watching her live out her faith in this neighborhood. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. I love it. A place called Bravely is available anywhere you get books, right? So I've got links uh, at halfwaytherepodcast.com in the show notes. Guys, that's there in case you're driving, doing the dishes, whatever, you go check that out. But people can find you. Your website is kateberkey.com, right? Yep. And they can find you, find the book, find get on your mailing list, all those kinds of things, which would be great. I love it. Kate, thanks for sharing some of your story. You really inspired me, uh, particularly to just uh, think more about humility, about culture, about some of the things that where we need to be challenged in our culture. And uh, I appreciate that. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Oh, man, I just I think the thing that I would leave people with is um, just this idea that like your courage matters, no matter um, what that step is of courage that you're trying to take, whether it feels really small or really huge. Your courage matters, matters to the Lord. um, And it just matters that we say yes to him when he calls us. But thank you so much for letting me come on and be a part of what you're doing. I love what you're doing with this podcast. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.